Welcome to the Survive, Scale, Soar podcast. Hear and learn through the success of others how to build the life and business you deserve. Learn to overcome failure, what it means to seek out growth, and how to become the best possible version of yourself. And now, here's your host, coach, entrepreneur, husband and father, and author of the number one best-selling book, Survive, Scale, Soar, Jeremy Williams. Hey, welcome back to the Survive, Scale, Soar podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy. And today we have an amazing guest, Rick Borden. Uh, he's an urban farmer, a real estate broker with Keller Williams Realty, a scholar, practitioner, ethnographer. 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 Yeah, it's a tongue twister. Yes, tongue twister for me and from Scottsdale, Arizona. And we're going to be talking today about social media. Uh, this, while I've got several people that are listening to this that are going to be business owners, uh, this is going to not only apply to those that have businesses, uh, this is a life conversation today. And I'm, and I'm really excited about this because Rick is the expert on social media. Uh, but before we dive in, I want Rick to tell us a little bit about who he is. He's also a veteran. So thank you, Rick, for your services. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, you're absolutely welcome. Um, well, thanks for that introduction. And um, I, I I am and I'll just kind of tee off where where the the last one the, the that can trip a lot of people up and it trips me up too sometimes is ethnographer, and I, I think for 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 the sake of this conversation it would be uh, interesting to kind of find out how I got to where I am today and in how I really got into ethnography and and what that is. Uh, back in 2019, when I was attending Mega Camp, um, I had the pleasure to. Uh, listen to Jay uh, Papasan, and he was talking about the one thing, and uh, I was in the back, and and I was uh, just getting ready to uh, jump into an endeavor, and what that endeavor was, was I took all of the challenges that are, not challenges, but all the categories that are located on page 114 in the One Thing book, starting with spiritual, and then there's there's six more, and it ends in the financial uh, side. And I asked Jay during that, um, uh, during his presentation, I said, had anybody ever gone through all seven categories one at a time and then just have a perpetual 66 day challenge and, and go through the whole, whole entire thing. And Jay at that time had recommended not to do it. Uh, which is really the bad thing to tell me because I already had made up my mind to do it. And uh, challenge accepted, right? Challenge accepted. But I understood from, from, you know, looking through Jay, the lens of Jay, I understood why he would perhaps not want somebody to do it. But what I didn't share in, in out of uh, being uh, respectful to, to the time of the audience and Jay, I had been doing 66 day challenges for years I have failed at high levels. I have succeeded at high levels. And I had gone through a period in my life where I knew that change really needed to take place. And, and I'll tee this up a little bit. My motto my entire life, which I had no clue why, and it still is today, slow start, strong finish. When I turned 55, um, Jeremy, I said, it's time for the strong finish. Like it's time for the strong finish. I, I'm 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 due. I'm ready for it. Uh, God had prepared me for it, 
and my faith and everything, all everything was lining up. So I said, game on, I'm going to do it. I, I, I put much thought into it because again, if you slow start, you go to the strong finish. If I was to do a consecutive 66 day challenge through all seven categories, I wasn't going to do it just to do it. I wanted it to leave a lasting impact in my life. So the very first challenge that I did, Jeremy, I started at the top, which is uh, spiritual. And I, um, I prayed for myself in the mirror as if I were somebody else praying for myself. And, and I didn't know why God wanted me to do that. I had no problem praying for, say, you, Jeremy. If you were to call me up and say, Rick, I need prayer. Here's what's happening. We would pray right there and then for God's will and favor over whatever is happening in your life. But I didn't look at myself as perhaps worthy enough or um, it was awkward. You know, I really don't know. But that day started a 511-day ongoing safe-to-fail experiment. And what I mean by that is I gave my self permission to fail. And, and what I did is, and what I do today still, is I document all of these journeys. I, I do journals, I'll, I'll, I'll take pictures, I'll, I'll shoot video, whatever it is, whatever it means to me to document that journey, that's what I did. Hence starting my, my really a career in ethnography and, and helping, helping others out, uh, including myself. But I did uh, start that uh, 511 day journey in August, I started my doctoral degree in October. So I, I went through this journey as an ethnographer, documenting that while going through my doctorate. And I'll tell you what, it was amazing. I cited and quoted this book the entire time I was in my doctoral degree. And I went through with the same cohort, the same 25, uh, 26 people. And, and I have several that are, are one thing practitioners now themselves. They just live and breathe. But I want to share with, with you guys a little bit about that. I, I started each challenge. I did 66 days. Then what I did is I took one week, Jeremy, and I synthesized what I went through. What, what happened? What worked? What didn't work? And, and how can I you know, share this, what I'm learning with the world, which kind of tees up our conversation about social media and, and uh, you know, what, what that entails. So that's kind of a little bit about me, my backstory, how I got started, uh, a little bit about what ethnography is and, and my journey in life to have a strong finish. So before we jump into to social media, because I know that's why everybody's here and, and you're going to share some things that are going to blow some people's mind. What did you learn most about yourself in that experience? Oh, my favorite hashtag, get over yourself. <laughs> like, really? I mean, <laughs> ego showed up um, during these prayers. They were every day. And I still pray for myself in the mirror every day. And, and now it's very poetic. And it comes with much responsibility because what I'm praying over, I'm asking for God's will and favor in my life. And, and when, when it shows up, I can't be afraid. I can't not have a conversation. I cannot not execute on something he's delivered to me. And, and I, I have a personal relationship with 
Christ. And, and we talk every day. He's my accountability partner. He's my coach. He's my mentor. He's my father. He's my best friend. He's uh, uh, the best accountability partner you could ever have if you take it serious. And the other thing I learned is God has an amazing sense of humor um, and will readily humble a person like that. And I've accepted that and I'm okay with it. And I've learned to be really, really vulnerable and to not give any, any, any ounce of thought about what another person thinks of me or what I'm doing, as long as I'm I'm serving uh, my Lord and Savior, and I'm I'm just head down in the Scripture and doing what's right. I don't have to worry about anybody else thinks because I'm only here to please Him. And if I can do that, the light in my heart shines, and it just it just spreads. It just awesome. spreads. So I don't know if I really answered your question, but I'm going to stick with get over yourself. I had to get over myself and get out of the way. Yeah, I love that. I think that's powerful, a powerful message. I think a lot of us need to hear. I need to hear it too. So thank thank you for sharing that. Sure. Um, so social media. What what got you started? I know I know you're working on your doctor program right now and you're getting near to defending um defending your paper. And you know, you've been doing this for a while. This isn't something you just woke up, you know, last year and started. You've been working on this for years from the inception of, of you know, in the inception of social media and, and you've been studying this and paying attention to it and seeing what it's doing in our lives, right? What got you turned on to wanting to study and know this deeper? Uh, years ago, we moved from Minnesota um, to to Arizona. Our grandkids, Jeremy, and our sons, both of our boys, live in Minnesota. One of the main reasons I saw the potential of social media was to stay connected with with my grandkids. And, you know, while I may not be talking to them, I can see the baseball pictures. I can see the school stuff going on. I can see what was happening in their life as long as, you know, our kids were were uploading and, and staying active on social media, which they were. Um, but I, I, I'd have to say once, once I realized, you know, what was happening in, in the potential of social media, uh, in, in terms of disruption, positive and negative, that's when I really started having eyes on it. And, and for me, I immediately went to how can I, uh, utilize this tool, um, in a way that will say benefit me. Uh, help me as an ethnographer, kind of share my story. Um, as a coach and accountability partner, it 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 allowed me to kind of stay in touch and, and and again community, if you will, that that social capital. Um, and then I really started getting um, into it. I saw uh, when memories, like when the when the memories started showing up, that hadn't always happened, but all of a sudden it did. I thought, okay. So this pulled something up from two years ago. Interesting. Um, and then hashtags became popular. And I'm like, okay, now we're cooking. Now I can go in, whether it's on a, a, a news media, on, on a business uh, profile, not a profile, but a thread, really any thread at all that I was interested in, um, where I wanted to document you know, uh, something that had happened, a, a, a pivot or a transition, so I started using keyword or hashtags 
and, and different keywords to document my journey because I knew at some point, I hope that these memories would still show up. Well, I can go back 12 years, Jeremy, and I can pull up. I've, I've kept a, a, a log of the different hashtags I, I used, uh, the intent in which I used them. So I knew because, you know, 30 years from now uh, or 20 years from now, if this is still around and hashtags are still there, I needed to know how I was, you know, categorizing these things. So it made meaning to me and uh, perhaps after I'm gone, make meaning to somebody else so that they could kind of go back and look at the the stuff. But all of a sudden these, these hashtags started showing up in my memories, Jeremy. And um, today's election day, like today's election day. I've been doing this for several elections and on these hashtags and the day before election and on election day, you can see the temperament, the the mood of the people, and now unfortunately the division. You know the 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 division of what is happening. It's so easy for keyboard warriors, Jeremy, to light somebody up and and to to hate on somebody. Uh, the other side of that, I've created communities, and and one of which is one is called "When Dogs Go to Heaven." It's a Facebook page. Uh, and then I have another one called Minding God's Business. Well, these same concepts, these communities are are, are just filled with, with um, joy. Uh, they're filled with love. They're filled with compassion. Uh, they're filled with grieving. They're filled with sorrow. Everything is in there. But there's a people, there's a population that lifts these people up and, and gives them a sense of hope and in real connection. That's a, that's a real positive way that social media uh, can kind of play its role. So that's, that's kind so of how we got started. So I think, I think what I'm hearing is it's the intention of the user. Like you could use it in a really bad way to tear somebody down, but you could also use it in a really good way to connect and form community and build a deeper relationship. Accurate. Very accurate. What do you and, think? Of, go ahead. Oh, oh, I was just going to say, and the same person, the same user can spread the love, the joy, and the hate. Something to keep in mind. That's that's interesting. I've never really thought of it that way. Yet, you know, now that you've you've brought it to my attention, I could think of some of those people uh, yeah. that that can do all three. Absolutely. Uh, what do you, what do you think is the most concerning aspect? I mean, and let's maybe narrow the the conversation primarily to Facebook today. Most people are on Facebook, okay. um, but it probably apply across the board. What do you think is the most concerning aspect of social media today? Um, I'm going to ask you to kind of unpack that. Are you are you throwing uh, on the table like a, a just broad sense, or are we looking at individual? Are we looking at uh, uh, I, I, want to, I want to talk about I want to talk about data business like I want to talk about data so when we when we're using Facebook and we post pictures or we post a comment or uh, we share a location I don't think we think about the consequences of that um, so I know we don't yeah <laughs> so when it comes to Concerning aspect, let's narrow it down because I know we could probably go 10 different topics and go all day. Let's look at just the data. Perfect. Perfect. And, and that's why I wanted to kind of clarify that uh, to get a little bit of direction. The number one uh, in my book, the 
number one concern, regardless of who is on social media, is the data. What they are doing with our data, how they are gathering the data. And at the end of the day, to really like fast forward this, Jeremy, we are the product. This book I bought. You're the book. I'm the book. We are the product. We are absolutely being monitored. Um, <laughs> everything that we do, everything that we do, uh, not just from, from Facebook, it starts with the phone. Like that, that's, this is really one of the, 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 the things that, that gets Facebook to be as active and, and, and have as much data as they do. Uh, as well as Google uh, and Facebook, but yeah, Jeremy, it's the data. Everything we do is is has an algorithm for it. Facebook, for example, they have a patent on cracked screens and how a cracked screen has a unique identifier to us versus a regular screen. So regular screen, they can see us, but what if somebody drops their phone and breaks it? I have a cracked screen right now. Facebook has a patent that can still, with a cracked screen, make sure who's on that phone. So that's how, this that, that that's that's huge. They really want to know who's using their Facebook, who's using that 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 data, that application, and and how they uh, do it. I'd say data, and 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 here's the other side of data. What are we not? receiving from Facebook. Do we have an algorithm that's made specifically for what's going on in Rick's head and what Rick is interested in? Oh yeah, absolutely. Your feeds and my feeds are different. Now we may have we may have uh, people in our, our, our network, mutual people in our network so we can see the conversations. Uh, but as far as you know what's showing up as ads, um, when I'm out driving around, they're creating a unique experience for me uh, that I can buy. That other people, you know, the the, the subscribers, the the big tech people, the advertisers, uh, they want to know what I'm doing, and and that's that's a huge concern. So is it just the is it just the keystrokes they're monitoring, or are they monitoring voice? You know, I've heard that before. Well, is it listening in to me? Yeah, uh, they everything, Jeremy, everything. They're tracking you, where you're going, your keystrokes, where you drive, where you're walking into. you like, you could be walking in, you could be on Facebook. Uh, you could just, you could just have your phone sitting next to you like I do on my desk. And I could be talking to you on a great recorded meeting. And I could mention something that I want to buy snickerdoodles for my brother's birthday, which isn't happening tomorrow. And chances are real likely that a snickerdoodle recipe ad or a place for me to buy snickerdoodles will show up in my Facebook feed sometime today. Test that out. Yeah, I'll have to take a look at it. I, I know I've talked, I was buying a car a few months back. My my daughter is now driving, which is terrifying. Uh, so she got my car and, you know, I was, I was looking for cars and it's amazing just having the conversations but what type of car that I wanted, I'd go over to Facebook, open it up, and there's that car. There's that uh, car. I could buy it. Um, the financing for it. I mean, everything was right there. 
Yeah, that's a perfect example. So I know in that world, because I've, I've seen that side working with real estate companies on the technology side of things, there, there's the aspect of, well, that data can provide great things. Uh, there's also the, the fact that they have the data. We don't know what data they have or how much they, data they have, and they can be used for ill intentions. Like, what is the thing that concerns you the most with the data that they're using now? Oh, Jeremy, there's, there's a lot, but let's, I'm going to, I'm going to take the, the, the path of least resistance. What day is today? Today's election day. Today's election day. Today is election day. And all of the posts of people wanting to support their party, their candidate, for whatever personal reasons they may be. Okay, doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. What's scary and how this can be used against us is depending on, um, how do I put this and not sound crazy? De depending on the agenda and the narrative and the goals and perhaps political affiliations and inside influences and outside influences to Facebook, Things can be really manipulated. And, and one of my biggest fears is, uh, one of my biggest fears, Jeremy, is that these tech companies, and we'll, we'll, we'll say Facebook, but there's there's others out there that are equally as, as, as scary and disruptive. But Facebook today, they have the ability to create their own algorithms and, and to use these algorithms to not just motivate us to buy something, but they can be used for those that perhaps aren't um, into uh, research or they, they don't know how to critically think because they just haven't been exposed to it. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just that they haven't had any exposure to real critical thinking. Well, I see this, but why is it that way? You know, maybe they're not peeling that onion to get down to the center. Of what's the real issue? What source can be cited so that I can make a really good decision going forward? Instead, there's 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 Facebook and, and there's other uh, channels out there that will uh, feed you exactly what they want you to hear. And if you see it day in and day out, day in and day out, and then you comment on it and then 30 or 40 other people agree with you. Is that real? Is that a real narrative? It's a story, but is it a real narrative that can be cited back to a source and, and be verified? Um, you know, not fact checkers, but just can it be verified? Is it in the literature? Is it in a book? Um, is there a recording of somebody saying that? You know what I'm saying? I mean, can you verify? Can you validate it? That's what scares me the most is, is the, the potential demise and, and destruction of, of America. And that's, that's, I mean, we're, 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 we're in a, we're, we're in a, a, an economy and an environment where there's several hot buttons and they're they, all it's going to take is one to cause a, a domino effect.
and and it's it's we're ripe we're ripe so that i think that would be the scariest thing is is how it can literally change the course of civilization if it wanted to because guess what it's happening we're just conditioned to it and we're not really seeing what's happening that's the scary part the other scary part is the ignorance and i'm not saying this to be mean or to 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 make anybody feel bad but when you just don't know what you don't know that's unconscious incompetence which could be just ignorance you just don't know and i think a lot of of our population i can't cite a source but just based on my my interactions with people and in the questions that i have uh, and i ask for people and i can see it i can spot the tells and see the weak signals looming on the outside i think there's some intentional division uh, happening not just amongst political parties but schools and kids and and in education and gun rights and our 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 freedoms our liberties i mean just it's 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 all under attack right now yeah and i i really do think you know when you look bigger picture right you could you see what you see on facebook but then when you start really going through and you're having these type of conversations and you really start using critical thinking is realizing that there are people in power in this world that want to maintain power. How do you maintain power? You create division. Yeah. And, and so you're seeing those seeds being sown through these different platforms. Um, you know, I know everybody's excited about Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Great. Awesome. Yet it's still happening on that platform as well. And yeah. Because it's all the same people that are really excited about it. So it's that group think and you know, that gets pushed out there and, People comment on it. They think it's fact and true. And, yep. and the reality is it might not be. It might not be, but and, they take um, it as the gospel. Yeah. Or you ask, you know, somebody says, well, you know, I don't know the answer to that. And first thing you hear is Google it. And yeah, Google, right. Google's got all the Google answers. It. Right. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I think we've just been conditioned to not really even go do the research. I remember doing research papers you know, growing up through school and then through college and you'd have to cite the sources and you'd have to have at least three sources. And there's just not that anymore. It's just like, okay, well, that's what a hundred people agreed to. That must be the case or uh, that. And it's true. They're feeding you. Like if you go and you look at your feeds and this is what I've noticed lately, especially around election is I'm Republican. I'll, I'll say that I am. And a lot of my friends that are Democrat their posts are not showing up into my feed. Yeah. It's it's all these people that think the, the same way that I do. So yep. it just kind of reinforces what I think. And I think it creates a greater division. And, yeah. and so you start seeing and noticing these patterns. And this is what you this is what you do. This is your livelihood is studying this stuff. Yeah. And you're seeing it in real time. I am. And and on that same note, on that same example. Let's just say you cited your sources. You were relevant. You you could you go to your grave knowing you spoke the truth and this is where it came from. And then you let somebody else come in and say, hey, this works for me. You know what? I can get a hold of this, but I have this opinion. Great. Now we can talk. Because if you have your perspective, I have my perspective. There's a third alternative. And guess what? We meet in the middle. And that's that's another Stephen Covey book, The Third Alternative. It's a long, long, slow read. 
but it's a great book. And, and, and it, it talks just about that exactly. That's my number one takeaway. And I read that years ago and I'm like, and I've always been this way. I can talk politics. I can talk religion. I can talk guns. I can talk anything with anybody. And I've proven it time and time and time again, because I really seek to understand before being understood. I want to know their perspective. I really do. And I want to, and then I want to know how they got to that perspective. Are they a product of their environment? Is this the way it's always been? And then it's a generational thing or are they, you know, are they researchers? Are they this? Can they, Take a stand in a box and say, I believe in this because of this. I believe in this because of this. I have this worldview because of how I was raised. I'm not thinking about my past. I'm not blaming my parents. This is who I am, and I'm going to leave a mark in this world, and this is my blueprint for my worldview. Great. Tell me all about it, and I'll tell you about mine. And, and we'll, we'll share, and I, I promise you, I, anybody out there, I don't care what you want to talk about. When we get done talking, we're going to walk away with a double fist bump and a hug and be like, man, that was exhilarating. Thank you for that conversation. It, it, it's, that's, that's the way I have to roll because I really am genuinely concerned about other people's well-being and, and how they think. Why do they think the way they think? No judgment. So is that the danger of social media is you could have those conversations one-on-one -on -one like we're doing right now um, and it, it flows and you could ask an additional question. You peel back the onion. Um, you can go deeper. There, it's more relational. Whereas you get to social media, it's like a, a statement. Yep. Yep. And do you it's think that's and part of, yeah, do you, do you think that's part of why social media you know, when you're looking at it from the non-positive aspect is that it doesn't, people have replaced conversation with social media and it's really not a conversation. It's not, it's not. So my next question is, is I have, I have children. I've got a, I've got a junior in high school. I've got one that's going to be a freshman this next year. And they know nothing different. You know, they've grown up in the, in the social media world. And I want to get your thoughts on, you know, the children today and the way that they communicate. Obviously, they're going to be our leaders of tomorrow. What's the impact you're seeing as we move down the road? Tolerance. I'm seeing much intolerance in Generation Z. I really am. Um, it's that instant gratification. Not all, not all. But if, if we were to, what are the characteristics of Gen Z? And I have a cohort member that is studying Gen Z. And we have a lot of conversations about this group because she's creating leadership um, programs for undergraduate uh, students. So she's, she's in this space all the time. And it's intolerance, Jeremy. They're just, they're, I, you know, and I, I, I don't know if, if, if it has to do, you know, with them being a product of their environment, which I'm sure a lot of it is, it really is. But I, I would still like to think that there's some parental influence and, and guidance of how to talk, how to react, how to, how to conduct yourself as a productive citizen. And 
I, I just think right now, the number one thing I'm seeing in, in that, that Gen Z, the, these younger kids, because, you know, the leading edge of the millennial group, they're in their forties, they're in midlife, you know, they're, 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 they get it. You know, the front end didn't really have much social media, you know, um, but that latter part did. And, and right now, Gen Z, the leading edge is about uh, 21, 22. So that's the group that, that I'm saying are our future leaders that we are here to mold and to, to help and to guide and, and to be coaches and mentors for this group, uh, as well as, you know, the older millennial generation to help out this, this Gen Z generation as well. Um, here's, 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 again, they're product of their environment, Gen Z. They, they, you opened up, the kids grew up with social media. They don't know anything different. So they're a product of their environment. Now I'm, I'm, a, I'm the leading edge of the baby boomer. I'm, I'm uh, 57 years old. I was born in 1965. Uh, so I'm, I'm at the, it's either 64 for baby boomer or 65 for baby boomer, uh, depending on what study you go by. I'm going by Strauss and Howe, the authors of the fourth turning. So I'm, I'm the leading edge of, of the, uh, uh, the, the, um, Gen X, but the the greatest generation, the older generation, like my grandparents that are still living, or uh, some of them, um, or no, uh, my, like my mother who's in her seventies, eighties, they have a hard time communicating communicating with this this Gen Gen Z, uh, because everything is is like this. They're just, you know, they're 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 sitting together texting, like they're sitting together texting, maybe because they don't want to say out loud what they're really thinking or what they're talking about. But either way, this is the tool. This is the medium. That is the device. So, you know, perhaps we should really look at what time we're in. We're in the fourth industrial revolution. Um, 5G is about to, you know, in the next few years will be the norm if, if the United States allows it to be scaled out. And if 5G is is our day day to day norm our day to day activity where we're using it, Jeremy? You're going to see a whole lot more of things come out that this Gen Z generation will absolutely rock and own. So they are our future leaders. Our future is technology. Our future is experiential. Our future is virtual reality, augmented reality, the internet of things, computer brain interface. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. I think this generation coming through is going to be just fine. I really do. Because that's all they've known. So yeah. they're going to be, they're going to be innovators in it. They're end users, they're designers. They they get this space and they're gamers. You know, um, a lot of research on gamers and, and how they're able to retain things, remember things, how they're more productive than non-gamers. It's amazing. Um, so there's 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 some good. There's some bad. It just is. It's something, Jeremy, that we have to be aware of and and encourage, but give them the freedom, but not it's. it, it It's a dance. It yeah. really is a dance. And I would just say that as, as a grandparent um, of, of the Gen, Gen Z, uh, my, my grandkids are 13 and 11. 
Um, they use technology, not a lot, but they use it. And, and their parents are very responsible. They're very aware of the, the, um, that we're the consumer and, and they're helping the kids understand that that technology isn't the all to go to that you still have to be able to carry on a conversation. You still should know how to critically uh, think and, and, you know, not go by what they say, but what is, what is cite your sources. So um, I think this generation is going to be okay. I have a lot of hope and prayer for them and I have confidence that they're, they're going to be okay. They're, they're going to be the ones when you and I are, are on, in our walkers they're going to be the ones dealing with all of this Star Wars kind of technology. And, and they, they were born and raised in it. So I think they're in the right place. We just need to guide them and coach them through it. I think that's great advice. It's funny you brought up about how they could all be in a room together. We just hosted a homecoming dance at our house. And we had about 14 girls and boys here. We did dinner and they were sitting there. It's just completely quiet. It's, it's awkward anyways at that age but completely quiet and they're all down on their phones and they're communicating with each other around the room, having conversations. <laughs> and that's just, that's, it's just, and it's relational, but they just, yeah. I, I think it's important to, I, I like the way you put that. Cause sometimes I have a hard time dealing with, with it is to embrace that. That's the way they communicate and understand it in some ways learn to adapt in my communication to the way that they communicate. Cause that's what, that's how they communicate and that's how they understand. Yeah. I go back to, you know, I, I grew up in a house with one landline, you know, it was attached to the wall. Um, get, get one of those Gen Zers to dial a phone. It, or yeah. They don't, they don't even know that they sit there and poke at it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that was the way we communicated at that time. And I know, you know, probably my grandparents and my great grandparents were like, well, why, why do they have that in their house? You know, they, they just didn't have that. So, yeah. I think it's also the transition over time of the way we communicate. Yep. Amen. It is. It, and there, there are people that will take a staunch position. Nope. You're going to do it my way. And now guess what? You're, you're imposing yourself on these kids. And what are they going to do? They're going to put the hand up, talk to the hand. And then there comes some resistance. Good, healthy conversation debate, maybe even raise your voice once in a while is acceptable as long as you get your point across and as long as you can just meet, meet at the fence line. Let's talk over the fence and rather than throwing stuff over the fence or lobbing stuff at them, be, be, be neighborly and, and be neighborly with your kids. Like they're people too. Here's another thing I want to, I want to, I want to mention there are cognitive issues where some people see or who are neurodiverse, neurodiversity on the spectrum uh, versus neurotypical people. Jeremy, those on the spectrum live and conform to a world that was not designed for them. Period. Society has been designed from our education to our employment, there's, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing that is untouched that our society, it was developed and designed specifically 
for neurotypical people, people that aren't on the spectrum. Examples, autism, ADD, ADHD, traumatic brain injury, um, Asperger's. There's, there's a handful. There's more than a handful. This population I am seeing thrives in the technology space. They're innovative. It allows them to communicate effectively in a way they can't when they're in person. So again, and I, I say this, if, if, if the listeners out there, if you have a, a, a spouse, a child that is, is, is neurodiverse and they have a difficult time communicating with neurotypical people, that's a conversation that really should be had and, and is of much importance. It is super significant that you identify that and don't attack them, but just watch and listen. When you, when you, when you, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. I love that saying. And this is, this is, a, this is an application to our technology and Facebook. You got to look at your population. Are they neurotypical or are they neurodiverse? That's real. That's a that's a wonderful starting point as an ethnographer and as a researcher to see what the what's the playing field like, and and what are the strengths and the weaknesses of each, and how can we get them to meet in the middle to communicate effectively? That's what my doctoral that's what my doctorate is about. I love that. I mean, I can't wait to read that paper. So I'm excited. Thank you. Um, addiction is it real? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've seen there's people out there that offer addiction services for social media. So you, you as they should, it. yeah, as they should. It it oh, it it absolutely is. I have several friends that take 90 day breaks from social media just because they know they're getting addicted, and it it takes a very, very intentional being, a way of being to not be addicted to social media because it fires on everything narcissistic about our personality. It's just miracle grow for narcissism. And then we're all narcissistic in certain ways. We are, period. I mean, we are. And if you tell me you're not, Let's have a conversation and, and give me 30 minutes and I'll identify it. I won't beat you up on it, but you'll you'll have a little paradigm shift. And and once you know that and, and you know, you, you start looking at ego and you start looking at different things. For me, I bring everything back to my faith. You know, whose am I? Who am I here to please? And, and am I doing the right thing throughout the course of the day? Um, so I, I feel I have a fairly... Um, good, good check on the addiction side of it. Um, I'm, 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 I've even done safe to fail experiments by not responding to somebody right away, knowing that they might be offended because, hey, you, you like you didn't get back to me right away. You usually do. You took a whole day. Well, it wasn't really important. Um, it wasn't life or death, and. I'm demonstrating self-control. I have to do that from time to time. I mean, I'm, I'm 20 some years uh, sober. 
I got really, really good at drinking. I, I, you know, and I, so I get addiction firsthand and I have an addictive personality and, and it's something that I personally have to be aware of daily, like daily pick and choose my battles. And I love what Gary says, Gary Keller. He says, you know, when you say yes to something, you're saying no to another. And, and um, so I've, I, I own that deep. Yeah, you know, they talk about the the equivalence of the the dopamine hits when you know every time your your phone chimes and you you pick it up, it's like crack cocaine essentially. Mm-hmm. Yep, it is, and it's fun to watch. Like when you know that you don't have to do it, but other people are like, oh, I mean, they stop talking to a person that they're in a conversation with, like right in front of them, to look at their phone. Mm-hmm. Like how rude is that? Yeah. Speaking <laughs> speaking of addictions, I I saw a photo from another agent in Houston. He was at a polling polling site. I don't know if you're really supposed to do this, but he took a picture. wasn't in the voting area, so I think he was okay. But he was in the line, and every single person was looking down at their phone. And all I could think about was you know chiropractors across the social media webs, you know, cheering that they're going to have all these people with neck issues that they're going to be able to work on. Uh, because they just, they do, they're sitting there looking at their phone. There's no conversation going on. It's just quiet, you know, and I, and I experienced that. I did early voting. I went in the first day and everybody's just standing in line. They're just sitting there looking at their phone. And and I had to be really purposeful and intentional to just start a conversation with somebody because, and they thought it was weird. They're like, oh, you know, I don't know if we can Ooh. talk here, you know, yeah. but that's, we've been conditioned into that with, with social media. And I think especially COVID. I mean, that's a whole nother topic. I might do a whole episode on, but, you know, with COVID, I think it just sent that, you know, fast forward Mm -hmm. um, because it was the place where everybody was finding some sort of connectivity. But I want to jump to, I want to jump to something that hit the news this week. Um, You know, Donald Trump was attempting this. They kind of ran out of time on it. Uh, I I don't know if it's it. FSC or the, I don't know who it was. It was somebody pretty high up in government had come out and they made the verbal statement that TikTok was a threat. It should be banned. And that's been kind of a conversation that's been going on for some time now. Uh, There's the conversation that with China owning TikTok, that there's a security threat. Is that a, is that a valid concern? Should we truly be concerned about this? You know, I, I spoke with somebody yesterday that is a programmer, uh, writes code, develops, like does all sorts of high level stuff that is certified with many different degrees and certifications. It has a lot of time in this space. And I asked him, I says, no, first of all, do you use TikTok? He said, nope. I said, okay, cool. I'll go to the next question. I says, what do you think about TikTok? He goes, from what perspective? And I said, really, you know, it's, it's it's a China owned app. Um, what do you think of it? And, and I said, and I said, before you answer, I says, one of my concerns again is data. He says, that's my number one concern is data and what they're doing with it. Um, it's tough enough when our own government, um, is, is, is monitoring us and watching us and that whole big brother, um, you know, uh, persona that, that we all have of, of them. That's one thing. And it's, it's unsettling period. There, it's it's very unsettling, but now let's just take it to an adversary of ours that that has only 
their 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 goal, uh, their best interest in mind, not ours at all. So from just from that perspective, that it's a China-owned app, and that their algorithms here for us are much different than the app that they have in China. They're they're completely different as far as what's shown and you know the the things that you can do. Um, it, it it's very scary, and and I'm to the point that if somebody sends me a a TikTok video um, through Messenger or or it's on Facebook because it, it'll show you on the bottom there TikTok. I don't watch it. I just I don't watch it. And and have I been, um, you know, Rick, you're you're a worry word. You're this or that. Call me what you will. I'm just not going to watch your video on on TikTok. I just I can't do it now. Have I clicked on enough things in my life uh, as a researcher and as a, as, as a social media participant um, to, to have things that I absolutely, you know, uh, should be concerned about? Absolutely. But for me, I just don't want to give China the edge that they're looking for. Um, I just don't want to do it. So I haven't done it. And if I had kids, it would, I would be very, very adamant. This is a non negotiable. I'm sorry, honey, you can't do your little video on TikTok. And until somebody can can really convince me otherwise, that's my stance on it, Jeremy. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you on that. I'd, I'd had an account for a period of time and I was trying to use it for coaching. And I'm like, okay, how many people really come here to hire a coach? I'm not the dancing type. So that wasn't going to work for <laughs> me. And I just saw the other content that it was feeding me. And it just wasn't stuff that was healthy or things that I wanted in my life or to be exposed to. And I, I read something about China specifically was doing that. Like they would show that type of stuff in the Western hemisphere, but they would never show that to their own people. Not at all. And um, nothing so, even close. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting that, you know, how they're doing that. And but then you have to ask yourself, I always like to ask myself, well, what is the intention behind it? Like, yep. Why are they doing that? And to me, it's to demoralize and corrupt us uh, to a point where we're weaker. Yeah. And, uh, back to that division, back to breaking us yeah. down and programming us. I mean, I don't know your, 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 your audience size and, and what their beliefs are. Um, I have a pretty good idea, but I don't know if anybody uh, in the audience has ever heard of Black Mirror or heard the saying the Black Mirror episode? It, it's a it's a series, futuristic series. Um, some of the stuff can get kind of weird and twisted, but we right now with social media are living in a Black Mirror episode. Period. Like it's 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 worthy of TV and where it's going with the social. The social credit score, like, you know, China already has adopted uh, their technology. Um, you know, when you when you when you listen to the, the rhetoric that's being spewed, uh, especially during this election, um, I'm able to read the weak signals. I'm telling you, by the end of this decade, I, I think we probably will we will have uh, equal or, or a little less than what China has. Uh, as far as a, a a global like big brother watching you everything that you do and i think what we're i think what's going to happen jeremy is the united states or the world but 
particularly the UN, the United States will have experienced something that will cause a paradigm shift in the way the public views privacy and data to the point. Now think about this. I'm, I'm going to ask a question now. What if everything we're talking about and what if everything we have concerns about all of a sudden an event comes in and causes us to not take this tsunami of what we're fearful for, but to embrace our arms around it and be grateful for everything that is happening in the technology space. Now, that's a complete paradigm shift. That is a total and complete paradigm shift in the way we think about technology. Right now, it's, 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 it, it serves a good and it serves a bad. But mm -hmm. we've been kind of focused on the threats. You know, what should we be concerned about? How do we protect our own? Our kids, our businesses, our, our, you know, the security, everything about us. Well, what if none of that mattered and we thought it was awesome? We embraced it. I think there's going to be an event this decade that will cause that paradigm shift and we will embrace all of the, the BS. I can't put it any other way. Let that one sink in for a bit. I mean, that's that's uh, a cigar and, and a campfire yeah, talk. Yeah, cigar, maybe some bourbon. We might have to go. Yeah, maybe some bourbon. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's when you start getting in because it is. It's it's thinking completely to the opposite of probably where this conversation started today. It's going all the way to the other extreme, and knowing that could also be a possibility. Yeah. 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 I wonder what would cause that. You know, I, I'm trying to think of an event that would make that happen. I've got a few in mind. We'll, yeah. we'll save that. We'll save that for campfire talk. We'll save that uh, for campfire. All right. So one of the last topics I want to hit on is uh, the impact on Christianity and faith. And, and I want to specifically go to the time when churches shut down. Uh, they, they shut down because of COVID. Um, some of them a lot longer than others. Some got back together quicker depend on where you lived. Um, but a lot of them had to figure out that time. They, they looked at social media and the church typically doesn't, I don't think favors uh, social media, but then they looked at it as, okay, how do we embrace it to make sure that we're still feeding our congregations? Um, and then you had this weird shift again, where everybody's kind of back together. And then when you go to church, it's like, where did everybody go? Um, and maybe, or maybe not, they're following online. A lot of the churches are now, now doing both, you know, they still have the online component, um, and they have the in-person component, but I'd, I'd have to think, and from what I've seen when I've participated online is there's not as many going to it. So what is this all done and how does social media play a role, um, in, in the church and with faith? Yeah. Great question. And I'm just going to kind of mirror in, in uh, you know, what you talked about, because you really just kind of, you just unfolded it. Prior to COVID, uh, there were streaming services that churches had. Your tech, you know, your tech enabled uh, offers streaming services, but then they shut everything down. And, you know, let's stream. And, and the churches that I interviewed with and, and spoke to, um, as far as my, my, I have a ministry that I, I, it's not so much a ministry. It's called minding God's business. It's, it's a, it's a prayer ministry, uh, a Facebook, uh, page, but, um, 
they their attendance increased their donations givings and tithes increased and then when it opened up you still had people go back but people just got used to small group you know the they they had watch parties and and you know bible study groups now became you know uh watch groups and and i think it really strengthened the community um now now not all there are some people that just said Mm-mm, i'm not a techie it's not the same thing i want to talk to people i want to shake hands i need that hug i want the coffee and i just want to see people and i want to they're 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 very relational they want to experience the service they want to be moved by prayer and and uh music and worship and so it's I think it's both ways, Jeremy. I really do. I think it was good, and I think it was a challenge. But yet on the other side of it, there's always an opportunity to course correct and, and what's possible. You know, what what is possible? And what did we learn? What was the takeaway? I mean, that's the real question. I would. I, that's a wonderful study that could be done with like 10 churches and then to go in uh you know qualitative narrative study where you're knee to knee with people interviewing them asking them and and to see what their thoughts were i mean if one hasn't been done that would be a wonderful study i mean that would be fun i mean i my my thoughts around it and thinking about it is i think what the churches have learned in that experience is that their congregation that they had pre-covid their relationship with the member probably wasn't as strong as they thought it was. You know, it was church on Sunday and then, you know, we'll see you in seven days. Yep. And um, I think a lot of churches learn that in, in that experience. You know, I have nothing quantitative or I don't have three fact sources to support that. It's purely observation. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, seeing seeing that, um, you know, it was interesting to see, you know, even some of the churches not, you know, not making it, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have the the stability or that that congregational you know togetherness to be able to make it through that that time, whether yep. for streaming or not. So, um, but I I do think you know I go back to you saying an event that happens, um, you know, it, it's thinking of that possibility of okay, now what are all the things churches could use social media for? You know, how do they develop out their youth groups? You know, how do they connect their youth group? Kids to the people that they help. You know, there's all different types of things that they could do. Um, you know, when you think to the other possibility. Yeah, yeah. You know, and just from the the communication messaging side of it, you know, the the ability to create groups, small groups, prayer groups. Um, that's huge. I mean, that really needs to be worth. That's worthy of mentioning. That you know, it, it's a quick way, an effective way for those that want to participate to learn about a need. Uh, and I, I'm a huge, you, you, you just can't tell me prayer doesn't work because I've experienced it on so many levels, but to be able to, to pray for somebody, um, you know, just little short prayers, just random, a random act of prayer. I call it just to send somebody, open it up, think about them. And just to send a nice little message, a one-on-one message, or like I, the example I used was the group, you know, so, but I, I, I'm with you. I, I think 
the real question is what did the churches learn and and how are they taking that uh, that 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 data that that learning uh, those experiences and in serving their their congregation their people yeah no it's really powerful and I, and I appreciate the time today you know it was we talked about the good we talked about the bad but we also talked about possibilities and um, you know that's that's what I like about you and the way that you think uh, critical thinking that's really important to me. I know it's definitely important to you. Uh, social media is just one of those things. It's not going to go away. You know, it's going to be how do we embrace it or what, it, you know, what does the next version look like? Um, you know, just like, just like we have the rotary telephone and then the punch button, and then we have the cell phones, you know, this is the new way that, that we communicate. And yeah. I appreciate you, you sharing that insight with us today. Well, I'm, it's, I'm always here to serve, sir. You know that. So, Rick, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, they have more questions specifically about uh, social media and what you're working on. Um, how do they how do they connect with you? You know, really, the best way to get a hold of me would be uh, my cell phone, 480-600-7578. Uh, my email, rick at rickborden.com. Um, but I, I, uh, I manage and I'm the curator of 64 different Facebook pages and groups. Um, I have uh, four active YouTube channels, depending on, you know, what, what lane that I'm in. Uh, but really uh, hit me up on, on, on Facebook or messenger. And um, you know, I, I'd love to talk to anybody about really anything uh, you know, whether it's technology, uh, urban farming um, you know, really the future. Um Political, especially the fourth turning, which is a topic we didn't talk about, but I, I'll plan to see research the fourth turning. That's something to go look at. Uh, Strauss and Howe, they've got a book called The Fourth Turning. And then I just wanted to kind of share with everybody to do a little bit of their own research, uh, segueing away how to get a hold of me. But one of the things I want to plant a seed on is for people to look at, and that's called privacy calculus. It's, it's a term in the technology space and what it really, uh, to, to give you a, a quick little summary of what it is, it's, it's about us giving permission to big tech, period. It, it's, it's privacy calculus, but really what the topic is about in my concern uh, is how readily available we are willing to push a button and just give all of our rights away in, in the technology space. So privacy and who you're giving, is there. And who you're giving it to. And so. who you're giving it to and what they're going to do with it to leverage against you. Like, because we're the product, Jeremy. We are the product. But uh, I, I, the best way to get a hold of me is you just you, you go, go to YouTube or email me, uh, cell phone. I'm going I'm to get back to you quicker if you hit me up on my cell phone, either a text message um, cause sometimes email, if I don't know, uh, you know, who you, who you are and you might end up, if you're not a normal, uh, incoming thing, you might end up my spam or my clutter box. Uh, but, but through Facebook or, or to, to email me uh, or hit me up on, on my cell phone would be best. Again, Rick, thank you for your time today. Absolutely fascinating. Um, a little bit different than what I normally do. And I think it's super important. Um, and it, it applies not only to business, this, these are life conversations we're having here. 
Uh, these are conversations we're having with our, our parents, our grandparents, our kids, is how to how to understand and navigate through all this. So again, I appreciate your time today and, and your expertise. Rick, I, I thank you. You're very welcome. Can I close in prayer real quick? Absolutely. Oh, great. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful, glorious day. I want to thank you for my relationship with Jeremy. And I just want to ask, Lord, that you bless him. You bless his family. You bless all of his clients. And Lord, you just have a protective hand over the topics that we spoke about today. And I just want to thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. May we all learn to live and create a relationship with your son. In your heavenly name, I pray. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate it. Until next time, onward and upward. Thank you for listening to the Survive, Scale, Soar podcast. If you heard something that made a difference in your life today, share it with someone that might benefit and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Learn more about the host of this podcast and coaching services offered by Red Hawk Coaching by visiting www.redhawkcoaching.com.